Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On Commons People This Week. And I can today confirm that the government will fully fund the removal and replacement of dangerous cladding. May pledges action on cladding, but the Grenfell Inquiry draws criticism. Oh, I'd say vote for the country. And I just hope that uh, the whipping in the Labour Party facilitates that. Neil Kinnock has a message for Labour MPs. Which as far as they're concerned, has been rigged in the interests of those with power and influence rather than serving the needs of those excluded and marginalised. And do the Tories finally understand young voters? All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, and this week I'm joined by Kate Forrester. Hello, Kate. Hello. I'm joined by Paul Wall. Hello, Paul. Hello. And Mr. Ned Simons. How the devil are you? Not bad, thanks. Ned is sitting in a Union Jack uh, suit in excitement <laughs> of the Royal Wedding, aren't you, Ned? That's not true. That's not true. No. Is it? But you are excited, <laughs> no. aren't you? No. Okay, good. Uh, let's crack on, shall we? Survivors of the Grenfell Tower fire are furious. A review of the blaze has not called for a ban on flammable cladding. A long-awaited review of building regulations launched after the tragedy, which killed 71 people last June, stopped short of making the recommendation, instead calling for a wholesale change in culture on fire safety. But just as we record this, Local Government Secretary James Brokenshire has announced the government will consult on banning flammable cladding, and Dame Judith Hackett, who carried out the inquiry, has said she would support such a measure. Uh, the Labour MP for Tottenham, David Lammy, described the review as a betrayal and a whitewash, and said the findings of the review were unthinkable and unacceptable. It seems weird, this, doesn't it? Because the report came out from Judith Hackett, as we said. She said, I don't back a ban. And then in the press conference, she said, but if the government put forward a ban, yeah. I would support it. And then the government has said, we're looking at a ban. I mean, yeah. this is, how can well, you... Well, it's obviously what's happened. They've, they've panicked. They've, they've, they've seen the reaction to her um, uh, appearance on the Today programme where she just really struggled. And she was asked, well, why aren't you having a ban? And she couldn't give a proper answer. She seemed like the shiftiest minister ever. Mm. And so obviously someone said, whoa, hold on a sec. This is going to be a PR nightmare, not just for you, but for us. Mm. And given that Theresa May has been in so much trouble over Grenfell, mm. right from the word go where she reacted really badly and slowly to the whole thing. Um, and given that Sajid Javid has, has, has disappeared from the scene because he's gone to the Home Office, and so the one expert they had, the sort of authoritative voice, say, hold on a tick, we're really going to act on this, we really trust trust us, we really mean it, because um, he's not there, they're going to have to make up a lot of ground. And that's what James Brokenshire looks like he's done. Brokenshire realises, number 10 realises, they've got to be seen to be acting. And what's wrong with doing an outright ban, you know, or at least looking at it? Why would you not ban something which... I mean, it's I can see we shouldn't, we shouldn't reject the science. We shouldn't the reject the engineering. Of yeah. course, we shouldn't. I mean, you couldn't be glib about it. You know, she might have a, radic- a, a rational case as to why some some forms of 
combustible cladding could be allowed, right? Of course, the, like the sofas we're sitting on now, for example. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, you've, it's about a balance yeah, of risk, of ultimately. So we shouldn't be too dismissive of it. But politically speaking, it sent out the wrong message completely. And and I think that's why, you know, again, it brings us back, and we're going to talk about this later, in, uh, I, I hope, in this podcast, about, you know, what do the Tories stand for in terms of, you know, state intervention, as opposed to Labour. We know where Labour are. They're, they're very firm on state intervention and, and it's quite populist, some of the stuff. And we've seen this week on things like renationalising the railways. Fixed you odds know, betting terminals. Fixed odds te- betting. And even things like, you know, the capita contract on the NHS, which has left some patients at risk. The government are having to think, oh, is it a good idea to outsource all these things? Can the state do better? And can the state do better on housing? Boy, it can. Because um, so far, I mean, we've the one thing about Grenfell is it's exposed just how... Now, the system has has failed miserably for lots of tenants. And Kate, uh, Theresa May announced on Wednesday during PMQs that the government would foot the bill, expected about four hundred million, for um, removing and replacing cladding mm. of one hundred fifty eight uh, high rise buildings that are social housing and the like. But they're not doing it for private sector. They're saying no, they should fund that work themselves. Obviously, it's welcome. It's taken them a long time to get here, though, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, this is why that the um, the report initial announcement today just didn't really square with what Theresa May had said. Um, the government's announced that it's going to spend loads of money, um, you know, helping to take down this cladding, um, and then, but now now they say that oh, it's not actually that big of a problem, and now they've U-turned on that. It seems as well, um, and. Also, I think Louise Elman, um, one of the Liverpool MPs, had an adjournment debate or a Westminster Hall debate yesterday um, about the impact that this has on people who live in um, live in flats where they pay a service charge or whatever to have certain things done to the building. And there's lots of people who, you know, may not have very much money, may have, for example, a shared ownership in, in a flat in a high rise. They're going to now have to pay out absolutely loads if they want to get their flat, get their building recladded. So... It's not great, really. And just also, I mean, the fact that this kind of they fudged this announcement, it did give Labour Labour opportunity to say, "Well, just ban it now." I mean, so you've broken short announced in the House, they're going to consult on having a ban. It meant John Healy, who's the Shadow Housing Secretary, could just say, "Well, we would do it immediately." So politically, it opened up that space for Labour as well. It's just again, isn't it? It feeds into the narrative of the government being one step behind mm. on this all, all opportunities mm. and never actually getting ahead of any of the issues. Now we could talk for hours about the Tory battles over Brexit. My goodness, we have. But let's have a little look at Labour today. Shadow Brexit Secretary Keir Starmer appeared on Mar at the weekend and was challenged why Labour, which backs a customs union with the EU, doesn't go the whole hog and oppose Brexit. Here's the clip. Just try finishing the following sentence for me. Brexit will be good for Britain because... Well, it's very difficult for me to complete that sentence because I voted to remain and I wanted to remain. So why don't you oppose it properly? The the Labour Party accepted that we put the referendum to the people. Um, We got a result. Now, it was a slim result. It was a narrow majority. But the the question that was answered um, was answered. A crunch moment for Labour MPs will come when the Commons votes on the Lords' Amendment to effectively keep the UK in the European Economic Area, which will see Britain stay in the single market. Jeremy Corbyn told a meeting of the Parliamentary Labour Party on Monday he didn't favour such a move as it would leave the UK as a rule-taker. On Wednesday, I caught up with former Labour leader Neil Kinnock and started by asking him whether he thought campaigns aimed at getting another vote on Brexit were doing enough to engage with Leave voters. I think it's essential that any of those campaigns do And that, of course, includes the Labour campaign, Labour say, to try to ensure that the issue is discussed. 
at this year's Labour Party conference. So I guess it's all part of a general movement to get people to thoroughly examine not just the prospect of Brexit, but the implications of it already. And if at the end of it, uh, the House of Commons wills that the people should have another vote, well, uh, that would be fitting uh, because it would be an implementation of the people's will. You, as Labour Party leader, of course, changed the party's policy on Europe. You made it who yep. someone was against the ECC, someone that was pro it. Now you see Jeremy Corbyn in charge of the party, let's say, is lukewarm about the single market, perhaps. What message would you have to him? Well, I think Jeremy will be giving a lot of thought to the realities uh, of uh, operation and rules within the single market and realising that just as the participation in the single market doesn't inhibit progressive democratic socialist policies uh, of any kind for any of the countries who are in the single market, which of course includes the economic, the European economic area countries, uh, then he may come to a different view about what the implications are. There has been a misunderstanding uh, and a misrepresentation indeed for many years. There are some on the right who misrepresent the European Union as a kind of capitalist adventure playground, which of course is rubbish, but also those on the left who have seen it uh, as a conspiracy uh, against progressive policies, which patently it isn't, and you've only got to examine the reality and the record of several of the countries and parts of countries that are very firmly in the single market to see the reality of that. And just finally, the Lord's Amendment on the EEA will be coming back to the Commons. Yes. Labour said it's not decided how it's going to whip its MPs yet, although I think we know what they're going to do. What would you say to Labour MPs then? Would you say they need to back that amendment? Oh, I'd say vote for the country. And I just hope that uh, the whipping in the Labour Party facilitates that, as I would have liked it to have done in the House of Lords, because I don't uh, take to voting against the whip lightly, and I'm certain Labour MPs don't. But you but think they should vote against the whip if the whip is, you'd say to them... You this know, is fundamental to the well-being of the country, not just now, but for years, indeed generations to come. And in the end, that's got to guide your action as a democratic representative. What did you make of that then, Paul, from Lord Kinnock? That was fairly strong, wasn't it? I really like the <coughs> irony of Neil Kinnock now urging people to rebel against their own party and Jeremy Corbyn, the serial rebel, having voted 300 times against his own party, saying you should obey the whip, um, even if that whip is an abstention, which is a bit odd. Now, I was outside the, the PLP on Monday night and we finally got a bit more clarity from Corbyn's spokesman. It's very clear they are going to repeat what they did in the Lords. They're going to whip MPs to abstain. MPs won't like it, just as peers didn't like it. Um, we'll see how many rebel. Um, but that is the position. And the reason it's the position is because Labour has this fundamental problem, which is how does it keep together a coalition of its voters who did vote for Leave and did vote for Remain? And what was interesting on Monday night is, and I was talking to a, a Labour MP last night about this, it was the first time in a long time you've seen a series of Leave MPs get up at the PLP and say their piece. More than half of those who spoke back to the, the idea that somehow you shouldn't betray Leave voters. People like Caroline Flint 
who come from a, a northern constituency who hasn't necessarily rebelled like someone like John Mann, who's quite hard line on this stuff, but someone like Caroline Flint, who says we've got to respect the will of the Leave voters. Ed Miliband didn't speak, but he's of similar mind. He doesn't want to rock the boat. And I think it's quite interesting. That's why Keir Starmer and Jeremy Corbyn have got this position they have, which is we want a customs union, but we don't want this thing called the EEA. Why? Because it might compromise on things like migration and other other thing, other freedoms that we think Leave voters wanted. Obviously, a lot of Labour MPs in the sort of Chukamuna, um, Pat McFadden branch of the party do want to see a rerun of the referendum. Oh, sorry, a new vote on the deal, I beg your pardon. Um, Kate, do you think they're taking a lot of people with them? Or is it just the same old faces saying the same old things, which was quite roundly rejected in 2016? Um, well, we did a story last week on how this campaign for the people's vote, so this is the kind of spearhead of, of this call for a vote on the final deal, um, they're planning to hold this big rally on the anniversary of the referendum next month. Um, and they raised um, £100,000 in a week um, for this cause. So, And they also claim the campaigns behind it, the kind of pro-EU groups, claim that most of those donations were from smaller parties, um, as in single entities, um, single people. Um, a few, there's obviously a few big donors, but I think they do have a bit of momentum behind them for it. But Ned, do you get the sense that they've managed to to find a message which cuts through in a way which didn't really cut through in the 2016 referendum? <laughs> no. I think that they're more confident. I think they've got their tails up. I think, particularly with movements on the custom union, customs union, they feel like the kind of the gradual approach of pushing the line back has been successful within the debate. But I don't know if there's much evidence we've seen of the country changing its mind. And I think largely it is just Remainers talking to Remainers and Brexiteers talking to Brexiteers, but it seems likely that there just are still more Brexiteers. So I'm not sure if the fact they're making a lot of noise has actually moved the debate in the country, particularly even if the debate shifted a bit in Westminster and Parliament in terms of some of the smaller nuances. Keir Starmer, who's a, uh, the Shadow Brexit Secretary, um, Kinnock's a, looking a big fan of his, he seems to be playing quite a canny game where just incrementally, a little bit at the time, he shifted leadership's position. It's gone from wanting to be out of everything to now wanting to be in a customs union. Maybe we'll get to the customs union. Maybe we'll get to the single market. Is that the ultimate goal of Keir, do you think, Paul, that he wants to... Or I, do don't, you think he's, I don't think it is because I think he's smart enough to know that there's real risks for Labour if they go down the route that the Tory Brexiteers think that they could go down and be accused of betrayal. And so the re- the point, I think, he- he's pushed it quite far now, but I can't see him getting EEA membership uh, as being agreed by the leadership. I just can't see that. I mean, famous last words, but I can't at the moment. Everything Keir Starmer said uh, suggests he wants some flexibility. And you know what's really interesting about Labour's position? Actually, where they are now is something that the EU could do business with. And I understand it from from chats I've had this week that actually the EU are very open to the idea of a customs union, which could, would allow, as Labour says, them Britain to have a voice at the table on other future trade deals. Now it'd be some sort of bilateral arrange, arrangement, and it wouldn't be formal. We would not have a veto on the way the EU conducts future trade deals, but we'd be consulted, and that is, you know, ripe for exploration within Brussels, and much more than what we've been presented so far by the Tories. And so on that, and on other areas, uh, uh, maybe even on migration Labour's trick to pull off really is to say look we can get the best of both worlds we can try and achieve what we want um, very quickly on the Tories in this because I don't see why we should spend any more time talking about it so they can get themselves sorted out with a bunch of 
amateurs. <laughs> Where are we now with this, with the Costas partnership versus Max Fat nonsense? I mean, Theresa May bought and heard about benches this week, and they thought they were going to be persuaded of one of the options, but apparently she just gave this kind of slideshow presentation to batches of backbenchers, which is a very kind of, here's the pros, here's the cons of the two. And they left going, well, we know that. We read the papers, mate. And apparently they were they were hoping they were going to get some sort of arm twisting, but they didn't. So. Well, the thing is, I've seen a similar slideshow presentation in number 10, um, and because number 10 have been very canny at trying to spread the word amongst the media as well as amongst backbenchers. Look, this is a technical issue. <coughs> this is what we're doing. And to be honest, neither is very convincing. It really isn't. There's deep flaws in both. Are you coming and, out for hard Brexit now? <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of it is sort of trust us. You know, we're going to try and work this out. It's complicated. And I can get the complicated bit. But the problem is then, the big question is, if it's complicated, you need more time. And will the Brexiteers say, yeah, let's allow a bit more time to work it out? And there was a story in a few places um, this morning, Thursday morning, um, talking about how the UK is going to stay aligned with customs union rules, essentially, until way into the 2020s. Um, and this morning, uh, Theresa May's spokesperson said, we are categorically leaving the customs union in 2020. That's the position. And it's unequivocal. But yet... Obviously, we've still got all of these technical negotiations going on behind the scenes. And also, by their definition, we're categorically leaving the EU next year. We've got this transition. So there could be transition yeah. part yeah. two, which is not like transition part one, isn't it? So and, they've, and they've also, I mean, talking of time, I mean, also earlier today, which is Thursday, uh, Andrew Ledson, I think Downing Street as well, wouldn't say when the EU bill is actually coming back to the Commons. So whilst we're waiting for this vote and see what Labour does, we don't actually know when that's going to be. And time, the clock is ticking. And yet again, don't forget, Brussels really does have, have us over a barrel because one suggestion I've heard is that basically, yes, number 10's right, as, as Kate says. It's a red line. They're not going to change on the, on the transition in the withdrawal bill. That's going to be set at the end of 2020. But their cunning plan is that there's a different thing, which is not the withdrawal bill, it's the future relationship between us and the European Union. And in the future relationship document, which is being hammered out with Brussels right now and will come out there towards the end of the year, that might have some sort of flexibility for customs and Northern Ireland and, and plans to somehow keep things going a bit longer beyond the transition. So that the, there is all sorts of different games going on at the moment that mean you might not be in a situation in 2022, 2023, where it's still resolved. So basically you're saying to Farage, keep your mustard trousers ready to go, mate, might be called up again to get Brexit. And you're saying to me that my weekly Brexit briefing, which you can all sign up to, is going to go on forever. <laughs> yeah, well, we really hope it gets on forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. Let's move on now, shall we? The uh, the Tory search for how to win over the youth vote seems to have gone up a gear or two in recent weeks. All right, Ned? Yeah. yeah. It's a surprise, isn't it? Just, the youth, yeah. yeah. All over Westminster, backbenchers <laughs> with time on their hands and right-wing think tanks are coming up with ideas to try to woo youngsters away from O Jeremy Corbyn to the blue team. At the launch of a pamphlet on Tuesday. I like the fact you get pamphlets in politics. The launch of a pamphlet. Yeah, it's good. Defra Secretary Michael Gove set out some of the challenges facing the party. And it is not enough if we remake the case, as we have to, for free markets, for liberal economics, for choice, for personal autonomy. Simply to rely on a few tired arguments about what's happened in Venezuela, heartrending for the fate of that country is. Or to say that we need to recapture the arguments of the 1980s, heroic as that decade was. Gave there with not at all a leadership speech. Anyway, an event on Wednesday, former Education Secretary Justin Greening said the Tories had failed to connect with people's aspirations for more than 30 years. Ned, you were there. That's a bit... 
she's saying quite, since, quite a long time. Ni- since 1987. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she, her big pitch was about social mobility and saying this country's, you know, you only get ahead if you're privileged. And that's only she'd been in the position yeah, of power she, to do something if, about it. been in the cabinet and hadn't famously quit rather than being moved, of course. Um, and I don't know if it was a leadership speech from her. I don't think so, obviously. But it was very, you know, we're not doing well enough. We're not going to win. We're not appealing to the young. And it's been it's been too long. Um, also interesting, of course, was to the liberal bright blue think tank. So she's sort of courting that that wing of the party as well. Is but, it not a sorry? Is it not a London mayoral pitch speech? Could be. I, don't, I can't really see her doing it, but mm. I think you could frame it like that. Partly MP, so but, I mean, just, very remain as well. But Justin Greening, obviously, uh, it was quite strong language and it's quite stark. But she was kind of diagnosing the illness that we know the tools already got right. She didn't. Yes. Did she offer any solutions to it? Uh, not particularly. I mean, some things about, you know, making sure I have more, more diversity, banning unpaid internships. There was no sort of big vision solution. She was more saying this is the biggest problem we have in the country and therefore as a party that we're not addressing. But she didn't come with a sort of a pamphlet, if you will, of, uh, of a pro solution. I had a little look through the pamphlet that came out on Tuesday and it's, it was <laughs> introduced by Ben Bradley, the Tory MP. He reassured me that he was not repeating his call for vasectomies for the poor in oh the pamphlet, God. which, uh, you know, fair enough. He's abandoned that policy pledge. Fair, a U-turn, U-turn, some might say, yeah. <laughs> uh, but there was some interesting stuff in there. Bima Falami, who's a, a new MP, came out with some sort of weird version of like a new land tax to get communities wanting new house building. It's all very, it's one of these things that's very technical and looks very good on paper, but not quite sure how you'd implement it, as he himself said. But you know what? He's thinking about it. He's thinking slightly differently. There's other stuff in there to do with cultural, digital cultural trails. and all sorts of stuff. So you Tories, You've got to be fair to the Tories. Uh, you know, they've got a gift for reinvention. Yeah. They really do. And, you know, it, it's allied with a ruthlessness about staying in power. And it, it's one of the most successful political parties in the world as a result. So, you know, they move with the times. Now, they... Greening was absolutely right. They haven't had a proper majority since 1987. But they still managed to be in power by hook or by crook in 92, in in 2010, in 2015. You know, by hook or by crook, they've somehow managed to be in power. And I think it's really all about that gift for reinvention and moving with the times. And I think what's really interesting is that um, next Monday, with this launch of this new group called Onward, which you've written about, which is another young, liberal, bright, Tory thing tank um that is being seen by a lot of people as a vehicle for ruth davidson now ruth davidson's going to be at the launch and it's a newly pregnant ruth davidson a lesbian pregnant tory politician now talk about reinvention if somehow she could be up against old white jeremy corbyn uh, at the next general election now i'm not saying it's going to happen by the next general election it might be after that then that shows you once again the Tory party, the first party in Britain to have uh, not one but two female prime ministers. It's doing something that the Labour Party isn't doing. And also uh, at that launch is going to be Michael Gove. Yep. As he was at the launch this week. And he's been, he's been busy boy, isn't he? Is he on? Is he planning a... Is he testing the waters for another another leadership bid? I think he'd be shrewd enough to forget that, to be frank. But um, who knows? Ambition in politics is is a weird old thing and I'd never never underestimate their egos, let's be honest. They do have a lot of right, quite rising stars though, don't they? At the moment, the Tories. They've got Victoria Atkins, who's in Home Affairs. Isn't she? She's in Home really Affairs. Really young minister, yeah. And yep. she's she's impressed quite a lot of people, I think. And also, a part of the, the new group that got for 2017, there was um, people looked at Kemi Badenek mm. quite a lot. She had an interesting mm. backstory. Um, but they, she's not like the others. No. The, the, the kind of, the, the, the Scottish stories which came down, the Paul Marsons, um, Andrew Bowies, who are very sort of Cameroon conservatives, very sort of Ruth Davidson, 
Tammy Badenek is a real sort of Thatcherite, and she's so the idea that all these young toys have all got the same ideas doesn't quite no. hold up. But it does mean they but, are. And there's a lot of them, and they yeah. say different stuff, and they are interesting. And you go along to these kind of events where they speak and have pamphlets and leaflets and discussions, and they they do they do say things and have ideas and are quite interesting, which definitely more I think than you get from Labour. Interestingly, even though Labour's in opposition. And, and just finally on this. Is it strange that, put Brexit to one side if that's possible, the Tories seem to be able to have lots of contrasting ideas, sometimes even slightly conflicting ideas, about the way the country should be, and they don't seem to tear themselves in a part about it. Again, putting Brexit <laughs> to one side, I know that's a big thing. Whereas Labour, they seem, it seems a lot more confrontational when they have different ideas. Is that a fair? Well, it's a matter of wrong? tone, it's a matter of generation, it's a matter of the mix of their candidates. Um, I mean, Ned was at the event with um, with uh, Kemi Badnock, yeah. weren't you, where she, where she actually said on the whole issue of snowflakes, for example, we shouldn't get sweaty about the idea of, um, the idea that so we should get hung up about people criticising us. Mm. And, and you should stop attacking young people as snowflakes now that's kind of sort of modern Tory approach you can imagine easily someone like Ruth Davidson saying um, and and yet as you, you're right she's a Thatcherite she's you know just like Pretty Patel is yep. um, you know the and they, they allow that diversity and it brings me back to something that's quite interesting about the Tories which is they obviously believe and obviously there's a lot of gay male Tory MPs so what is it about the Tory party that means there's that kind of diversity and is it, basically, I think they think it's about individual freedom. That's what Toryism's about. And individual freedom means diversity. Whereas from Labour's point of view, you know, they say, yeah, of course, diversity, equal rights is what powers everything. And the state will guarantee those. The Tories have a different philosophy. And it's quite interesting that they've managed to modernise themselves as a result. And, and don't forget, if you're talking about the whole way this impacts on the leadership, whoever wants to be Tory leader has to tap into this new mood. And it's going to be interesting to see whether whether it's Michael Gove, whether it's someone else we haven't heard of, whether it's Boris Johnson, who knows. But Boris so far has not impressed a lot of new intake, just as he didn't impress the 2015 intake famously. Um, And yet Boris is the one who's having lots of soirees with new MPs, lots Mm. of invites for people to come and have drinks at the Foreign Office. Mm. So um, keep that on your radar. Mm. Thank you very much, Paul. Well, the Tories are after younger votes, but Labour are desperately trying to keep their youth activists on a rolling boil in case another election comes along. Hence, Labour Live, a music festival set to be held in North London next month. Yet despite attracting such star names as the Magic Numbers and Reverend of the Makers, which I saw in 2006 when they were already not cool, only around 15% of the ticket allocation has been sold. Trade unions are being asked to help underwrite the costs of the event in case the public response to the festival is a shortfall in funding. Uh, one Labour source told us that the bill was set to run between one million and one and a half million, dwarfing the five hundred thousand the party spent on its entire local elections campaign this year. Paul, you have been writing about this. I think you want a free ticket, don't you? Uh, clearly, thirty-five quid a ticket, mate. So who would not I mean, want? Going, who so would not want going. a free ticket to what? see Owen Jones and yeah. the magic numbers? Yeah, there's just like. I, oh, <laughs> see I said it I got God. away with Owen Jones Yay. in the podcast again thank you um, no I why do parties keep doing these stupid things for? what's curious about this is that the, the, the leader's off. office are really yeah. split about it some of the leader's office are really pushing this and it's, I'm not going to say who it is but it's their baby and they they have relatives involved in trying to get some of the acts in, in, uh, attracted to uh-huh. this event and um, some other people think actually this from the word go was nuts. You've got this massive venue, which is uh, the White Hart Lane Recreation Ground in Tottenham. Uh, Not White Hart Lane football ground, but it's a recreation ground, which is huge. 
and there are no facilities there. So you have to bring in all the facilities. You have to bring in all the, the roadies, the gig people. You have to bring in all the, all the catering. You name it. Your public safety, if a kid gets lost. Labour has never done anything like Glastonbury before. And it's a massive task. It's an expensive task. And I don't think they quite realise this isn't like the world transformed at a party conference where you can have a room and you can all be quite laid back and very successful because it's all quite small scale. This is a massive festival offer. And unless they get some big names coming in like who knows Stormzy or someone or Lily Allen saying actually yeah you know I'm going to do this for free I'm going to carve out some time in my busy career to help you out unless that happens then I'm not sure they're going to get you know 17,000 people there I mean it's obviously a disaster 17,000 Something and like that. There's a whole thing where, like, you know, talking to Labour staffers where the joke is that we're not a political party. You ask them about something to do with politics, they say, don't you know, Ned, we're, we're a festival company now? Because that's all their time <laughs> is taken up with. And or, or, there, was this, there was this kind of hope from some of them that because it wasn't going very well, not as many of them would have to then not go on holiday to work, volunteer at the festival. But they realised maybe they will all have to go mm. to make up the numbers to make it not look like there's so few people there. I have heard unconfirmed reports that the average age of people who've bought tickets... You ready for this? Yeah. 56. <laughs> that's brilliant. Well, that's that is very unconfirmed. Good. Well, maybe they've got no idea, um, you know, the magic numbers well, no, are. No, no, because they were around. They were yeah, uni when, when they a... were... I mean, crikey, I mean I'll, I'll say this, right? I'll play a bit of guitar. Oh, God. Oh, no. And here it is. If it is, Jezza. He went home to get it. I'll come and do I'll, I'll do a couple of tunes. I once got sacked from a paper for writing a song about Nick Clegg, so I'm political. I'm political. How maybe. is that going to help them sell tickets? Oh, curiosity, mate. Maybe me and Owen Jones have another argument again. Are you going to paint the backdrop of your of the stage in the Union Jack like your bedroom wall in the uni was? Absolutely was. Yeah. It's spray painted. Um, should we talk about gammon very quickly? Let's do the quiz. Let's do the quiz. Let's do the quiz. <laughs> it's the quiz got gammon in it. Uh, this week, yeah, obviously Labour have done this kind of thing before, haven't they, Paul? Yeah, have. You remember when you were a, a long-haired lover Red from wedge. Liverpool? Red Wedge. Thank you very much. And now I'm going to ask you, did these bands play on the 1980s Red Wedge tour? Oh. Wow. Okay. If they did, fight the power. If the Mannix is in this, I'm going to be so furious If they you. did, fight the power. <laughs> okay. yes, they are, aren't they? No. they? And if totally they didn't, are. no, they didn't play. <laughs> <laughs> so did this band play on the Red Wedge tour in the run-up to the 1987 general election? Uh, Duran Duran. Did Duran Duran play on the Red Wedge tour? Categorically not. Categorically not, says Mr. Paul Waugh. Mr. Ned Simon says. No, I'm going to copy what Paul says. I'm not not challenging that, am I? No, they didn't. I think they actually had Tory sympathies. Yeah, they think they were a bit of Thatcher, weren't they? Really? Yeah. Uh, Wow. Bananarama. Did Bananarama, were they wheeled out? Oh, God. To, uh... Uh, Yeah, yeah, just because... Yeah, what do you reckon? I can't remember, but I I suspect they did. I suspect they were corralled into it, yeah. I'm saying no. They did play. They did play on the Red Wedge tour. Um, Happy Mondays. (laughs) <laughs> they weren't even around, yeah, were they? Yeah, they were. They were. They no. were. They weren't. They didn't exist. No, no, the first album was around that time. <laughs> Definitely not. No, I don't think they No, did. they didn't. It's a band. It's one of. It's like a U band. So like, you picked it because you like them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so not the band. Yeah. Uh, George Michael. Did Mr. George no. Michael. Georgius Michaelis. No way. Don't think he did. Why not? I, I don't know. I just don't think he, he did. Didn't. This is too easy, isn't it? He didn't. Um... Roger Taylor, the drummer from Queen. <laughs> <laughs> what was the one for Yes? Uh, fight the Power. Fight, fight the Power. You're right. God, he's, it could be. It's quirky enough, isn't it? Um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes because I haven't said yes to any yet. 
Uh, no, he didn't. Oh, um, Why did you get that random? <laughs> I just thought I'd go and watch it. And finally, um, Style Council. Pre- yeah, Prefab Sprout. Yeah, they should. Tim Fallon's yeah. favorite band, remember? Yes. So I, th- I think they were. Yes. So what? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Fight, they were. fight the power. Yeah. But yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Other bands to play included uh, Style Council, of course, Billy Bragg, Madness, Elvis Costello, and The Beat. UB40. Uh, yeah. Oh God, I'm having a flashback to that UB40 press conference. Oh God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to segue why into. They, why aren't they why playing? Why have they got UB Labour live they then? Love it. I know. Well, because they're split. <laughs> they're more split than momentum in Lewisham UB40, <laughs> which is saying something. Um, very, very quickly, is Gammon racist, Ned? No. Right, Paul. Of course not. Kate. No, and it's only nice when it's cooked in coke. But you know, the drink. The drink. Not. The <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't get a gammon up your nose anyway, can you? It's very nice. We had it at Christmas yeah, actually. What coke? Well, no, yeah. cooked in gammon yeah. cooked with yeah. all that coating. Yeah, it's nice. really yeah, it's lovely. lovely place. Very, very nice. yeah. I think Caitlin Moran should get the proper shout out though. She did call. I remember she called Cameron a pile of gammon in like in one of the TV <laughs> debates in 2010. Gammon it's, faced. It's so not racist. Cameron. It's not racist. It's not racist. But is it offensive? No. no. I mean, a little bit, but what? Not I mean, really. Like, it's no more offensive than me telling you you look like Danny Alexander. That is <laughs> offen- yeah, and that is offensive. <laughs> anyway, okay, then we'll wrap it up this week, shall I we? I can't get over you just saying lovely glaze in a sort of really weird... Lovely Ben glaze from the mirror. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll be back next week. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.